Welcome to the time! This is a show dedicated to helping singers, songwriters, and indie artists like you create leverage in the music business. That's what you're going to need. You're going to need leverage. What is leverage? It's strategic advantage, the power to act effectively. It means they need you more than you need them, and you're going to get what you want because they want it. Let me introduce you to the man who came up with the acronym, The CLIMB, which is, by the way, C-L-I-M-B, creating leverage in the music business. The genius behind that is Brent Baxter, my good friend, my co-host, and also, not for nothing, an award-winning hit songwriter with cuts by Alan Jackson, Randy Travis, Lady Antebellum, Joe Nichols, and more. And what I love about Brent, he helps songwriters like you turn pro by revealing how you write like a pro, do business like a pro, and then he connects you with the pros and gives you your opportunities to get out there and get hurt. Uh, you can find Brent very easily at songwritingpro.com. Once again, that's songwritingpro.com. And I would like to introduce you to my co-host, Johnny Dwinell. Johnny owns Daredevil Production. They help you find your sound and they help you grow your audience so you can become the artist that everybody loves and so you can get paid. Yes. Yes. Daredevil has worked with multi-platinum artists like Colin Ray, Tracy Lawrence, Ty Herndon, and Andy Griggs, just to name a few. You can find Johnny at DaredevilProduction.com. That's production, singular, no S, and there is no S because there is no other Johnny D. What's up, my brother? How you doing, man? I'm excited. I, I know you're excited, too. Oh, I got a lot going on today. Should, yeah. should we tell them? Should we tell them <laughs> the part that we can tell them and not tell them the part we can't tell them, but tell them the part we can tell them? Let's tell them the part that we can't tell them and then not tell them the part that we can't tell them. Yeah. I think that's a wonderful plan. Let's tell them the part we can tell them. Okay, go. <laughs> you go. <laughs> All right. Well, right off the bat, guys, um, we have uh, – this has been a, a, a long time coming. We've been working on this for quite a while, but we have yes. – the, the Climb podcast, Brent and I have partnered with Disc Makers – uh, we're proud to partner with Disc Makers. They've been supporting indie musicians before indie music was even a thing. And, uh, you know, I've used them for, for gosh, 10 years or more. Like, mm -hmm. I've had an account with them. It's where all my artists get the CD duplication done. When you're ready to make your CDs, DVDs, vinyl, or, or distribute your music and videos with customized USBs, go to discmakers.com, and that's the only place you need to go. That's right. And while you're there, you can click the guides and resources tab and download some of their excellent free guides. They've just revised and expanded their home studio handbook, which has like a ton of great advice and information for newbies like I would be or studio veterans. So you can find them online at discmakers.com. That's disc, D-I-S-C makers, or give them a call at 800-468-9353. Uh, and once again, it's 800-468-9353. They're huge. Dismakers is huge. They, they own, are. They're a big deal. And they're a big deal to us. They own Host Baby. They own Book Baby. They're a book publisher. They own Merchly, like for t-shirts and hats and stuff. Like they are in, they are everywhere. They're like mm -hmm. the godfather of digital distributors and stuff. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm excited that they're excited and, and hopefully they're excited that we're excited. So, uh. Yeah. So, and, and, th and we're probably gonna do a whole podcast on the lessons we've kind of learned uh, on, on getting to this point with them, but uh, man, we're just, uh, we're proud to partner with them and it's been a long time coming and hopefully it's just going to enable us to serve more, you know, singers, songwriters, indie artists and serve them more effectively. Cause that's what we want to do. Yeah. That's what we're trying. We're here to help. We want you to win. That's right. Hey, and speaking we of helping, I think we have a review of somebody that hopefully we've helped. 
Uh, we do actually. This this is a, a five star review from Jamie Horn, who's uh, very active in the climb community, by the way, as mm-hmm. well. Uh, and uh, the five star review from Jamie Horn says, "This is it. Love this show. Where have I been? LOL. Thanks, bros." <laughs> <laughs> well, where have so you th- been? We're glad to hear now, Jamie. That's right. So. Um, Real quick, if you haven't joined the climb community like Jamie has, then do so. Go to uh, Facebook and search for the climb community. We let everybody in, but you have to ask to be let in and uh, just be good boys and girls and we'll roadhouse you out. Subscribe to the podcast. Make sure all those episodes come directly into your uh, phone and uh, share it with somebody. Let them know if it's helping you, then it could help them and they could find value in it as well. So share it on your social media. Tell tell other artists about it and uh, take Take a couple seconds and leave a rating and review like you, like we just did with Jamie Horn. We'll, we'll read it on the air, right? Yeah, that's right. We will. What are we going to learn today, brother? You're driving. I am driving. And so this is uh, based off a, a blog post that I recently uh, put out into the world and received some hate for. So, Ooh, yes, backlash. it was a little bit of backlash, which uh, I'm fine with. At least, I'm, at least somebody's paying attention. Uh, but yeah, this is how a songwriter's job is not to write songs. It's not your job to write songs as a pro songwriter. It is too my job to write songs. What I do, I write songs. Don't tell me what to do. Well, that might be what you do, but it ain't your job. Not if you want to stay a pro. Stay a pro. <clears throat> so this is a little bit of backward thinking, but it's, it's true. And so this really applies if you want to do this for a living, that okay. you have to realize that as a pro songwriter, your job is not to write songs. What is your job then? It's blowing my mind. Yeah. Like what, what the heck am I, I supposed to do if I'm a songwriter, we I'm get- a pro songwriter, but I'm not supposed to write songs. All right. Well, we're going to get into that. I want to tell you a little story. Gather around. Let Uncle Brent <laughs> tell you a story. Don't sit that close. I'm a little uncomfortable. Okay. Back just a little bit. Okay. Perfect. All right. So when I signed my first staff songwriting deal, okay, that was with major Bob music. They paid me. They said, Hey, we're going to pay you this much money every month. That way, you know, we own everything you write. And we'll cover demo expenses and that kind of stuff. So that's a staff songwriting deal. I was exclusively signed to Major Bob. So I thought it was very, very cool and a dream come true to have, quote unquote, a job writing songs. But I was wrong. Writing songs was not my job. So what are they, you know, really paying you for? So I was signed to Major Bob for three years. I'll give you a little backstory here. During that time, I turned in about 250 songs over the three years. So that's an average of like 83 songs a year. So yeah, I was writing a lot. I mean, these are like co-writes. More than one song a week. songs. Yeah, like one and a half songs a week. Oh, it was, yeah, it was a lot. Yeah. yeah so and that's what you turned in. That didn't that's count. What turned in. That's yeah. what I turned in. That's what I turned in. That's not counting stuff that didn't get finished or whatever and all that good stuff. So wow. yeah. And um, so turned in about 250 songs, about 83 songs a year. So I was writing a lot. Now of those 250 songs, So you're thinking, hey, you're doing your job. You're writing a whole bunch of songs. Well, out of those 250 songs, about 70 are demoed, have full demos, and about 60 have like a guitar vocal recording. So put that together, that's 130. So that's a little over half of my major Bob songs are in some form that's suitable for pitching to an artist or a label. All right, so, so just, like just be clear real quick that when you say guitar vocal, that means like you went to a studio when or studio over some, room, did a guitar vocal. This is not the work tape, which is probably a guitar vocal into the iPhone or something. Correct. Like yes. Thank okay. you, Johnny. Yes. It was not the work tape from that room. Uh, that's was on everything I turned in, but this is a good, clean recorded right. guitar 
maybe two guitars, a vocal, maybe two vocals, or a piano vocal, that kind of thing. But it is, it is slightly produced, right? It's a good, clean version, correct lyric, correct melody, good performance, not me singing, right? right. That kind of thing. Suitable <laughs> for pitching. Suitable for right. Right. So uh, it was about 130, though. So over half of those songs. Now, during those years, I had a bunch of holds ranging from uh, now a hold is when an artist or a producer, somebody associated with the project says, whoa, we love that. We want to hold it, meaning don't let anybody else record this. Basically, they're calling dibs on your song. Like We like this. We're serious enough about it. Don't let anybody else go recording it until we figure out what we want to do with it. So Mm -hmm. that's a good thing. So I had a, and I don't have the numbers on how many holds, but I had holds ranging, ranging from artists like Brad Paisley, Carrie Underwood, George Strait, Leanne Womack, and more. All right, so I was getting some holds. So here we go, 250 songs, whole bunch of pitchable versions of the songs, getting songs pitched and on hold with major artists, and I got some cuts. Now, this is all going somewhere, okay? I got some cuts. Uh, these include uh, a great singer named John Pierce, who was an RCA at the time. He cut my song ring on the bar the legendary randy travis recorded my song every head bowed and a new act little baby little bitty baby act called lady antebellum recorded two of my songs a woman scorned and last night last for their debut album so 250 songs 130 demos or guitar vocal or piano vocals a bunch of holds and some cuts and you know what happened i lost my publishing deal what (laughs) yes you know why why? I didn't do my job. What was your job? My job. Wait, wait. Was, you wrote songs. You said that you I did write songs. songs. And then you turned in songs. You turned, turned in two songs. songs. Some we of them recorded. We demoed and we pitched and we got That's home. your job. You're and done. We, you go home, kick up, smoke a cigar. I know. And we got some cuts and some holds and some stuff. But the job didn't get done. The job... A pro songwriter's job is not writing songs. A pro songwriter's job is writing songs that make money ah that's the difference that's the twist that is the difference therein lies the rub there's a fine line between clever and stupid and between writing (laughs) songs and not having a publishing deal anymore (laughs) right that difference is green okay so those 250 let's dive into those 250 songs all right so this is brent having some truth time okay so out of those 250 songs I wrote. Okay, so most of them never made a dime for Major Bob. Now, granted, that's the case for like 99.9% of the songs written for publishers, by the way. Mm-hmm. Most songs never make a dime. Okay, so I'm not out of the ordinary there. Now, what about the demos? We did a whole bunch of demos, right, and guitar vocals. The ones that did not get cut by a fairly big artist actually cost Major Bob money. That's right, because they, they paid guys like me mm-hmm. to cut them. Form. Exactly. Do the don't do the demos. Yeah. yeah, we did a full demo. We're paying the all the musicians. We're paying for studio time. Yeah. Um, perhaps a demo singer. Yeah. That is not cheap. Now you split the cost with your co-writers, but still, that costs them money. If that song does not get recorded and released and make that money back, that's a loss, right? That song costs them yeah, money. Think about think about at times. Uh, how many would you have? Uh, uh, I had uh, full 70 full demos. And you're one writer. And I'm one writer. And we had several <laughs> writers, right? So, and, you know, if you're having the recording was like four or 500 bucks. I mean, and oftentimes it was. Yeah. Holy crap, dude. That's 35 grand. Yeah. Right there. And that's on top <laughs> of my draw, which I won't go into how much that was, but they're paying me money every yeah. month 
to rider. Yeah. And that's an advance against future earnings. So and that's one costs, rider. One rider, right. One guy. One guy. So the demos cost money, the draw costs money, and you got to make that money back by getting, by monetizing those songs, making those, getting those songs to make money. Um, you know, so they had all that stuff. So what about my cuts? Okay, first of all, big thing, Monday Morning Church happened before I signed with Major Bob. I did not bring that song into the deal. And that's been my major money maker. I didn't have to. I had the leverage to say no. Um, So Major Bob doesn't make any money off Monday morning church. So that would have been a game changer as far as making money for that deal. But instead of going into their coffers, it still goes into mine. So, I mean, good deal for me, right? Yeah. (laughs) Because no one was paying me when I wrote the darn thing. I was having to work in a cubicle when I wrote it. So yep. anyway, Perry dog so my, and a pair of khakis. <laughs> oh, my butt was just spreading, just drinking Mountain Dews, chained to a phone. I was gaining weight and sitting on it anyway. So <laughs> this I was, I was like 40 pounds heavier. Anyway. Um, so, okay. So what about the cuts? Monday morning church was not part of that deal. Okay. Big money maker, but not relevant to this conversation. It doesn't feed into uh, major Bob's math on whether or not I'm doing my job. The John Pierce record, he cut uh, Bring on the Bar, his record never came out. He ended up bouncing off the label. So, got a song recorded, made zero money. Great song. People love it. It's been on hold. Some of those other holds, but didn't make any money. His record never came out. John's a great singer. I got a good co-writer out of it. I like John, but didn't happen. The Randy Travis record. That record, it was cut. That song was cut like 2006. My deal was 2005, 2006, and 2007. It was recorded in 2006. The record didn't finally come out until 2008. So like a year or a year and a half after my publishing deal ended, that song finally came out on Randy's record to start generating some income, right? So that, at that point, that song had gone. any money for them. Yeah. What about the Lady Antebellum cuts? I mean, they're a big act. They were cut. They cut two songs of mine the week that my publishing deal ended. <laughs> so it was basically a fact of too little, too late. Uh, yeah. yeah. So it was, it was fun. It was a, uh, it was like on a Tuesday. Um, I got a text from Hillary that they cut, I think last night last. And she's like, it's magical. You know, I'm like, all right, Hillary, you know? And then on Wednesday, I got the meeting that I was being informed that my option was no longer being renewed for the next year. I'm like, <laughs> hey, your hat. what's your rush? Congratulations. <laughs> and we're letting you go. And then on Thursday, I got another text from Hillary going, we cut a woman scored. It rocks. I'm like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, that was just a matter of too little too late. Cause it comes a time when they're like, my three years were up and they were like, do we renew him for another year and, and incur, you know, this continue this investment or are we kind of cutting losses or whatever? So, right. uh, and those songs, those lady a songs went on to be uh, bonus tracks. So they made a little bit of money, but nothing, you know, hugely life-changing. So bottom line, right? Brass tax. My catalog did not earn enough money to keep my gig at the publishing company is what it came down to that. They like me. I like them. We got along well. I worked my butt off. They knew I was working. But at the end of the day, that catalog did not make enough income to continue that investment. Right? So now, was that all on me? Or was that partly on the pluggers? Was that, well, whatever. Uh, That's not really even worth getting into. The point is, the songs didn't generate the income. Because the result was the same. If it was their fault, I'm out of a deal. If it was my fault, I'm out of a deal. Right. So the damage is the same. Yeah. The, the result is the same. Those not enough songs got cut and didn't release. Now it's not our fault that John Pierce 
got out of his record deal. There was another, oh my gosh, I just remember there's another, uh, you know, close call. So not, you know, there's a guy named, uh, uh, maybe just leave his name out of it, but good co-writer, buddy of mine, um, doing something really cool artistically. And he went out to get a, a record deal and sure mm-hmm. enough, he got one. And he was pretty far into the project. I'm a big fan of this dude's work and he's really cool. And he's, he's on a major label. And so we're riding and we demoed this song. Um, thank you, Major Bob, for paying for the demo. And it was a cool song. And he's like, man, he goes, you know, I think that might be what we've been missing. You know, because he already had a bunch of stuff in the can, but they're looking for something that can go to radio. He's like, I think that's it. Let me put my vocal on that. Because we had Lane Turner singing it. He's a great guy. Also had a record deal that ended. <laughs> the guy yeah. I was writing with, right? <laughs> so probably with all these guys with record deals that, like, no, <laughs> I know, I know. I keep climbing and the, you know, like the Indiana Jones thing where he jumps the, the pit and he's grabbing onto this vine and the vine yeah. starts coming out of the ground. He's grabbing the vine that's coming out of the ground. He's grabbing the vine that's coming out of the ground. That's the difference it. is he got on the other side and he fell down. He did. The, and I was in the pit. Gorge so, of eternal paddle. <laughs> exactly. So uh, anyway, so this artist said, let me put my vocal on that. And, and yeah, I think this is really cool. Let me send this to my producer. I think this is like it. I think that's what we've been missing. This is the thing and kind of thread that needle, do what I do and go to radio. I'm like, sweet. Not only do I really dig this guy and his music. Now we're talking for a single. It was like two months later, he's out of the record deal. <laughs> so uh, welcome to the music business. So it's not like we weren't, you know, stuff is like razor's edge stuff that could have completely change things at that John. Uh, but uh, I mean, with these other guys so <clears throat> but you know what end result the money wasn't coming in whoever's fault that is whatever i mean i definitely take my share of the blame for that because i was the one writing songs right so um now listen i'm not saying all this to complain all right um i've been blessed to have some songs that have done quite well I've had several songs that have brought in some cash here and there, and I've gone on to have other publishing deals and that sort of thing. So this is not just a, a woe was me kind of thing, but I'm sharing this because you climbers, you need to know the truth about being a professional songwriter. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, and if you want to be a pro songwriter, simply writing songs is not enough. Heck, even writing really good songs is not enough. Your songs have to make money if you want to do this as a living or even as a good profitable side gig. Right. I mean, it's the same thing for artists too, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you want to get a record deal and uh, they're going to spend money on you, but at some a point lot of money. that money's got to come back to them mm-hmm. or it's going to go sideways. Right. And so you, yeah. I, sometimes I feel like. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. I don't know if it's naivete or they just subconsciously ignore it, but people got to, they've got to, they've got to remember, like always know like what's on the table, mm-hmm. right? Like where, where's the, where's the, where, where's the leverage, right? Yeah. To, to go back to the climb, where's the leverage? Like, like if you're coming in with more, then it's, it's on them to, to catch up. Right. But if they're throwing out more and you're not bringing it back mm-hmm. at some point, that's going to come to an end. Yes. You know, because it is a business. And so you have to be like, uh, be thinking about that like 24 seven, like this is what should keep you up at night and, mm-hmm. and make you want to, okay, let's, um, you know, we got to figure out a different way to do this. There's, mm-hmm. there's a, um, there's a great story with, um, with uh, that Randy tells me from bar frog with, mm-hmm. uh, he, he worked at sidewalk records mm-hmm. and um, at curb and was, he took, um, what was that guy's name? Dylan. Was it Dylan, Dylan Scott? Yeah, Dylan yeah. Scott uh, out on his first radio tour, right? Mm-hmm. And so they were they were working him, and um, man, it just wasn't hitting. Like mm-hmm. he, they're spending the money on P one, mm-hmm. not hitting. Literally about to be dropped from the label, and mm-hmm. then the you know last second thinking, the manager who was super smart was like, "Well, let's do a cover song and put it up on YouTube." And so mm-hmm. they did this killer cover, put it up on YouTube, and, and went viral. Mm-hmm. Right, people went crazy uh, because it, it, uh, think about that. Like on a digital sense, it's something for them, right? Like mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, I know what this is, and this is cool." But then they did a second one, mm-hmm. and that was that was the sort of thing that just showed the label, like, "Okay, he's we need to hang on to him." People and now, yeah. yeah, now he's recently had his. I think he's got two number ones now, and, and he's a- he's doing he's doing well. He's going to hang in there. Mm-hmm. But there it is, last minute, where somebody said, "Okay, this is about to end." You know, yeah. we've worn out our welcome. This is, we're not going to have a deal anymore unless we do something drastic to, to make that change. Yeah. You know? And he was, he was doing his job. He was recording yep. music. He was going on a radio tour. He was working his butt off. Yeah. He was working his butt off. I've, I've written with Dylan and, you know, he wants, he wants it to work. Right. Yep. So it's not like you could say, well, he's doing his job. No, no, his job is to sell records. And what's interesting, and we've probably both heard those stories about, um, and say Dylan, he's had two number ones now. And I don't know the the particulars. So this is just total conjecture, right? So I'm not talking about, but just say, what if people still aren't buying his record? Would they like it? Just spend it. They push it up to number one, however it goes to number one, but people still aren't buying the record. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get, get dropped. You're going to get dropped. Yeah. Why? His job is not to have hit records. His job is to sell records. That's because right. 
now, not knowing the particulars of his deal or whatever, but in general, right? We, I've heard those stories about artists that would, their songs would fly up and fly down or whatever. They'd have hits, but if they weren't selling records, the, the label doesn't make money off airplane. The artist doesn't make money off airplane. The writers and the publishers do at this point. So until that changes, a hit single is a commercial for a record to go yeah. buy a record. Or if you have like a 360 deal, if they have part of Say your, that one more time. I think that bears repeating. All right. The, the label is according to the label. They don't make money off spins. They make money off record sales traditionally. Right. So right. they don't, uh, unless you're an artist and you happen to write the song and they own a piece of the publishing, right. but they're only getting a little bit of it. They're not right. getting so, all of it. Right. In but general, generally speaking, generally yeah, they're speaking, not making money off the spins. They don't make money off you getting airplay. Airplay is just a commercial for the record. That's right. In and result, they want them to buy the record. So you can have hits all day long, but unless they just want to keep you as a prestige artist, but no, but no one's buying your stuff. They're still upside down on you. Which is really, which is really bizarre, right? But that, like, um, if I recommend that everybody should read Hitmen, the book Hitmen from Mm -hmm. about the old radio or the old record business. Um, One of the stories in there was fantastic about Carly Simon, Mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, Your Sylvain, right? Huge hit. Like she had, she had a bunch of hits, um, anticipation stuff like that. Well, then she came out with this new record. And uh, their label spent a buttload of money on the syndicate who could make sure that that record got played. Mm -hmm. And she had like some ridiculous amount of spins. Like she got in the top 10, if it wasn't number one or whatever, record sold 6,000 copies. Wow. Like nobody cared, you know? And, and so um, it happens like that stuff happens, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's not enough that you get on the radio, not enough that you get a bunch of spins. I know because sometimes that stuff can be manufactured, you know, get pushed up the, the charts, but it's not real in a way because people aren't really responding to it and going, I got to go buy this. Um, And so, you know, man, I had a blast writing a major Bob. Uh, I keep in touch with the folks over there. I appreciate the investment they made in me and my career. I mean, if I, and if I go back and change anything, I would, I would have focused less on writing songs and focused more on writing songs that make money. Uh, So what does that mean? Right. What what does that mean? Does that mean I'm just going to sell out and, and write these, quote, you know, what you might think are just crappy songs that are on the radio. No, it means I would have paid a lot more attention to the business of writing, like writing market smart songs, like songs that have a better chance. I mean, I, I was talking to someone, I was at the Martha's Vineyard songwriting festival this weekend. This, I'm not, that'd be like two weeks ago by the time this airs, but I'm just talking to people about making these, these choices. And I remember during my major Bob days, I wrote this song called uh, hell of a deal. And it's a first person song about this guy that catches his wife cheating and shoots her and the dude and goes to prison and is going to the chair for it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. It's real. Pick me up. Um, <laughs> it's a heck of a song though. I mean, major Bob liked it enough to demo it, you know, and, and put money to it. Cause it was just cool. It's well done. Um, but we changed it from first person point of view being, you know, uh, $25 for, for a pawn shop cult, two bodies buried off an old dirt road. Ain't that a hell of a deal? You know, it's in, talking about uh, now I get a roof and three square meals. Ain't that a hell of a deal? Oh, wow. And by the end of it though, <laughs> he's like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to burn forever. Ain't that a hell of a deal? Um, so, but we wrote first person point of view. Cause to us, that just felt like most compelling. Yeah. And you know, they're like, let's make that he instead of me <laughs> for an artist to sing, right. you know, and, because I see where they're coming from. Like, cause most artists weren't going to sing about, you know, killing, killing several homicides and going to the lecture chair. And, but just knowing things like that going, Hey, should we make this a tempo instead of a ballad? 
should we make, you know, can I write what I want to write, but just put in some things that are more commercially viable, you know, should yeah. I spend more of those days or more of those days getting in rooms with people that are really where I'm getting my best songs and, you know, building a stronger team of stronger team of co-writers, building stronger business network. Like I waited too long to really start pitching my own stuff when I was a major Bob. I wish well, I was that because like you had your hat in your hand and you were just grateful to be there and you didn't want to rock the boat or no, why, no, I was just, I waited? thought my job was to write songs and their job uh, was to get, get them cut. I didn't realize on a deep enough level that, I mean, I knew I wanted cuts and you got to get, make money, but on, on a deeper level, uh, on an operational level, like how it affected really how I did business. I didn't buy into it enough. Thought, my job is to, for my songs to make money. Yeah. I need to be out there making relationships. And so toward like that last year, I started to do that more because one thing like this is 30 of my deal. My deal might be, I better go make relationships because what if these guys aren't always around to fly my flag? I better know some of these people, mm-hmm. you know? And sure enough, that's what I'm glad I at least did that for that year. Cause then after that deal was up until I got my next deal, I was able to keep my name and my face in front of some A&R people and, and that sort of thing. Cause I started building those relationships. I mean, so it was just time making that decision to say, Hey, you know, I've had a hit song. I have a publishing deal. Let's leverage that leverage mm-hmm. into some meetings with some A&R people who have heard my stuff through major Bob. They heard the Alan Jackson song. Let's start getting my face in front of them. So then I'm not coming with my hat in my hand after my deals up and I don't have as much going on and I don't have that relationship with the A&R person and the producer. And that's not their first. Yeah. That, that, so they're going to know, or they're going to find out after, if you didn't make the relationship with them first, just think about like how that, how that plays out. Right. It's like a chess game. Right. Mm-hmm. So you gotta be, you'll be smart with that. You gotta, you mm-hmm. gotta know like in advance. Okay. So you chose to go out and make the relationship with them. And now they like you. Now they know you, you're working for major Bob. Mm-hmm. And then you lose your major Bob deal. And they're gonna be like, Oh man, that sucks. You yeah. know, like that blows. Versus who? Versus you coming in after. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, he used to work for Major Bob, but he lost his deal. Oh, oh yeah, I guess. I don't, yeah. You know, it looks a little desperate, right? Yeah. They, they don't, you don't know what they'll think of you because they don't, they probably just won't think of you. Yeah. <laughs> you know? They haven't seen your face. They've heard some of your song, especially me as a guy that you're not going to hear my voice on the work tape or on the, uh, the demo or whatever we're pitching, right? You're not going to hear my voice. You're going to hear the right. demo singers or you're going to hear my co-writers. And so you're not going to know it's one of my songs really, unless somebody tells you. So a lot of people in town were hearing my songs, maybe not realizing I was on it. Yeah. So this is a way for me to help my branding go out. You're going to hear three to seven or whatever songs and you know they're all me because I'm sitting across the desk from you, even though my voice is not on any of them. So it's good for branding. So that's, I would have started that a lot earlier. And I've gotten holds and I've gotten cuts from pitching my own songs. It's like, oh, where have I been all my life? Why yeah. wouldn't I doing that? And so, yeah, it would been great if Major Bob and those guys had, and they're legit and they had their hand in a bunch of hits, those, all those pluggers over there. So I'm not disparaging them, but it's a team sport. We could have had another hand on deck. Yeah. Might, just the pitch on the right song at the right time might've made that difference. And so I wish I'd paid more attention to that sort of thing. And I wish I'd made decisions in my songs that made them more commercially relevant. So, you know, and, and, let me mm-hmm. add some of that real quick. Like, yeah. I, cause I know a lot of songwriters like rolling their eyes, like, Oh, you know, that's selling out. Blah, 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 blah. Oh yeah. I got some hate. Yeah. Yeah. And um, man, this, the smartest actors 
right? Let's take, let's mm-hmm. talk about actors for a second. Like let's yeah. take, talk about Tom Hanks, right? Mm-hmm. So Tom Hanks gets, he's a list. He gets $20 million a movie, right? Mm-hmm. To go and do like a killer movie. But what he'll do and what a lot of actors do, especially some of the ones that now Tom Hanks gets some heady movies, right? So, so he mm-hmm. might be, I, I thought of him because of Forrest Gump. He <laughs> yeah. was, he went and he did Forrest Gump, um, which was this indie film that became a big deal after he signed on to it, but he did it for a fraction of the cost. He didn't get 20 million to do that. They didn't have a budget like that. They had, mm. I don't know, like a, a you know, $2 million budget or something. Like it was a, it was a small indie film. Wow. That blew up. And, and for that, by the way, he gets, he, I think he got some ridiculous percentage of the back end of the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. He probably made more movie on Forrest, more money on Forrest Gump than he has on all those other movies put together. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of act like the, the actors, some of the actors that are in like the real big um, blockbuster mindless, you know, mm-hmm. uh, action films and stuff like that, man, if they're, if they're into being actors and not necessarily movie stars, right. Mm-hmm. They do the commercial one mm-hmm. to keep their face relevant, to keep in the game mm-hmm. so that they can afford to go do this little indie film for a hundred thousand bucks mm, and scratch that, that itch, scratch yeah. that artistic itch. You know, it's mm-hmm. a balance, right? But you've yeah. got to under like, who cares if you're not a movie star? Who cares if you're not an actor that I know? Mm-hmm. And I'm the guy doing the film. Like, I, you know, like, uh, how does that work for you? Nobody knows. Right. It's like a tree falling in the forest and nobody hears it. So what a great approach to think about it from a balanced position and not like, a, Oh, I'm going to sell my soul. It's like, man, um, what's the famous line with the dude who wrote Icky Breaky Heart, you know, and his wife and she's, everybody's like, you know, it's kind of a dubious honor. And she's like, well, that's my Icky Breaky kitchen. And there's my yeah. Icky Breaky uh, theater room. And yeah. there's my Icky Breaky five car freaking garage. So yeah, dubious honor. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and some of the hate I got on that, it was because the, uh, I guess you could call them artistic purist or they, they love it more. And that's cool. If your goal is not to make a living, it's almost like, you know, I was like, yeah, because I'm sure, and we talked about, you know, I'm sure John Lennon and Paul McCartney weren't intentionally trying to write really hooky, really popular songs. I'm sure they were not. <laughs> it just, no, that was their, just, that was just their artistic, pure virgin artistic voice that just happened to come through and just happened to be really, really hooky and really, really commercial. And, re- and really, really good at the same and, time. And really, really good. Like, I don't know that anybody's ever s- had an argument about the Beatles sort of selling out, right? <laughs> right. You know, but then, then you go to like Metallica, like when they went from Master of Puppets. Uh, and then I'll say, man. Yeah, they had, when they, when they released that record, because that was like the change in the production value too. Mm-hmm. Uh, enter Sandman. I mean, they had one in between there. They had Injustice for All in between there, which was like a disaster. But um, because of the new bass player, but the the mm-hmm. and Justice like the bass player learned like okay, I've got to fit in like sonically mm-hmm. this way. Then they go and they do Enter Sandman, and Bob Rock produces, but it's a different kind of production. It's very slick, and mm-hmm. they blow up, and everybody's oh, yeah. like, "You guys!" And they came from the thrash world, which is very word of mouth, no radio. Mm-hmm. Like you guys sold out, and they're like, "Yeah, man," hmm. every night. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I get to be a rock star now. I get to, I get to, you know, make a great living. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, doing what I love to do. And, and that, I don't care who you are. That was a killer record, you know? Like, yeah, it was great. I, I yeah. love the first ones too, but that one was the bomb, you know? Yeah. 
And that's the thing. It's, it's not about, you know, writing stuff you hate. Right. I love writing songs and there are choices I can make in those songs. We all make choices. You can make choices that give your song a better commercial chance, or you can make decisions either consciously or unconsciously that give it a worse commercial chance. My job is to, this is how I feed my family with music. Yeah. I want to feed them and I don't want to end up back in that cubicle. Yeah. You know, they say, Oh, you know, you do it for money. So you must not love it as much. No, I love it so much. that I want to keep doing it more and not have to take time off to put on khakis. Yeah. I love it that much because I want it to be what I do every day. Exactly. That's how much I love it is that I don't want to do anything else. I don't want want to put on those khakis. Think about this for a second. I just thought it's so you know, football's back on again. Of course, yeah. I'm watching the Packers and mm-hmm. freaking out of the second game because that was totally horrific. But, mm-hmm. um, man, we all love – what's the highlights? What's the highlights? The highlights is the big bomb, the 60-yard bomb, mm-hmm. the huge interception, like the big plays, right, that are really yeah. super exciting, and that's why we watch those for those. Yeah. But, you know, they don't snap the ball and throw bombs on every down. No. It's, it's like literally what they say football is a game of inches. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you, can, if you can move it like 3.5 yards every single play, then you win every game. You're going to drive down the field and win every single game. And it's so hard to do that. But it's a whole bunch of these little strategic little 10 yard, duke, 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 duke. Mm-hmm. like when Aaron Rodgers got hurt in the first game and he mm-hmm. was out for a quarter, then he comes back. So th- we, we've talked about this in the podcast before, but that was like, we watched a one-legged man win a butt kicking contest. Okay? Right, yeah. But he's out, like, just quick. The first thing they started doing was quick, just two-second snap, throw, snap, throw. Quick mm-hmm. little outs and, and just getting five, six yards at a time mm-hmm. and just moving the ball down the field and getting into a rhythm. That's, I think that's a metaphor for, like, the commercial stuff. Like, you know, just, mm-hmm. just making, move the needle. Do, do something that makes somebody go, wow, I could make money with that too. And because mm-hmm. if you want to get in the room with, a Brent Baxter, or if you want to get in the room with the Dallas Davidson, or if you want to get in the room with the Ashley Gorley, then you can't go in with the attitude of, man, I don't want to sell out. <laughs> right. They're going to be like, okay, then get out why of here. Why am I here? Yeah. Like, why, why are you wasting my time? This is how I make my money. Right. And you, you, can, do, you can do both. You can do great art. And that is also commercial. I mean, look at Tom Douglas, then look at Laura <laughs> McKenna. So that's not go. a valid argument. Is that there you go. But, and that's, that's my point. I mean, I'm mm-hmm. saying like, do you, you know, make the money and do it for a living. And then you can afford to go off on, you can do a whole record of this crazy cool stuff that you consider mm-hmm. non-commercial and somebody mm-hmm. will actually care about it because, because they, they care about you. About yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I want to talk about. It just, I learned an invaluable lesson in a painful way. And I want to help you avoid that same pain. It's just realizing if you want to do it for a living, you have to realize and you can't do everything just with the thought of, you know, getting the math in your favor. I mean, you, you got to, it is an art and you don't, you can't plan everything. But when it comes to stuff like going out building intentional relationships, uh, pitching your songs, that sort of stuff, you have to let the fact of knowing what your job, what your real job really is affect how you go about your business. You have to let it permeate what, what you do and how you operate. That'll give you a better chance of actually getting that job as a pro and keeping it. There you go. Speaking of pros, boom. I have a free ebook. It's called Think Like a Pro Songwriter. And I'm just giving it away to the climb community because I want you all to have it. And it dives into some of the mindsets, some stuff I picked up the hard way, like today we talked about. And you can get that at gift 
fombrent.com. That's giftfrombrent.com. It's a free ebook. Think like a pro songwriter. Go download it. Use it. It'll, it'll help you on your journey. Yeah. And not for nothing. That's the, that's going to open up the conduit for, um, if you want to get connected with the pros, that's how you mm-hmm. do it. Cause you're going to get the emails on the opportunities through that. Yep, that helps too. Through, yep. through that, through that channel. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, there it is guys. That brings us to the end of another killer climb podcast. We want to thank once again, disc makers. Yes. For- uh, you know, partnering with us. We are so stoked, so blessed, so honored to be associated with a huge brand like that. And that team over there is killer, killer people, man. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really do. I enjoy them as people. Like I, I, I had the honor of hanging out with a couple of them and uh, they're just a, a hoot. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like a couple of them last year, like Lucy and, and um, Andre. Lucy, yeah. Well, Andre didn't come out, but oh, Lucy that's right. out and, and I was like, man, is she not coming out this year? And, but I was hanging out with Dan this year, Dan Baker, mm-hmm. the, he's the, the, the director of marketing there. And, and uh, it was it just all really good, cool hangs, cool people. So, hey, join the Climb community on Facebook. If you haven't done so, ask to be let in. We'll do that. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and get them all in advance. Leave a five-star rating and review. It takes a couple seconds. We'll read your on the air, make you famous, and share it with everybody. This podcast exists because we want you to win, so keep on climbing. And we'll see you at the top. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.